You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Robert Green at Redemption Hill Church on Sunday, January 23rd, 2022 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. It's not a stretch to realize that for a lot of us, we, we have trouble these days finding a lot of things to agree on. Um, but one thing we can all agree on is that there are no shortage of voices out there for us to listen to. There's no shortage of voices in our world fighting for our attention. In fact, as the years have gone on, the number of voices vying for our attention has only grown. And so with that reality, let's just start with some honesty. Uh, We are an eager audience for all of these voices. We want to listen to something. We want to hear something. And so we make space in our lives for the voices that we want to listen to. All right? We all do it. For the voices that we want to hear, we make space in whatever way we need to in order to actually hear them. And the voices that we want to hear, the voices that we prioritize listening to are voices that are doing the work of shaping us. They're shaping our hearts. They're shaping our view of ourselves. They're shaping our view of the world we're in. They're shaping our view of how we understand those around us. They're shaping our understanding of what the abundant or the good life is. But the thing is, they're just one part of all that is shaping us. Every day when we walk outside of our homes into our city, our city has a voice. Our city has a way about it that shapes our understanding of who we are. Our family, our friends, our relationships, the homes we grew up in, all of these things have a formative shaping impact on our hearts and on our souls. In fact, I was reading one book this week and this pastor, he actually said of himself, I want to think of myself as a kind of concrete wall when it comes to all these forces of shaping. Like, hey, nothing can get in here and do that. But the more I'm honest with myself, the more I realize I'm much more like a chain link fence. A lot of stuff gets in and a lot of stuff gets out. I influence those around me and I'm deeply influenced by everything around me. I form and at the same time, I'm being formed. This issue of formation, it's not just a reality that we have to own. We've talked a lot about that. We are being formed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The issue at play is who or what are we being formed by and into whose image and likeness or what image and likeness are we being shaped into? And so if you were with us kind of at the end of 2021 in the weeks of December, we we spent some considerable time talking about and thinking about this issue of formation from the Scripture's perspective and considering Jesus' invitation to a counter-formation of sorts, a reforming of our hearts and of our souls at the hands of His goodness and grace. We, We talked a lot about what it would look like 
to hear and accept his invitation to be his apprentice or his disciple, the space and the context for this counterformation to take place. And to do that, we kind of zeroed in a little bit on Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I want to read it to you real quickly from the ESV version. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, that's an important word, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke, he says it again there, is easy, and my burden is light. That yoke is a key to understanding, in a sense, what Jesus is saying here and the invitation that he's laying in front of us. If you were with us at the end of the year, when we began to talk about this, you might remember me mentioning that in Jesus' day, when you were talking of spiritual teachers or rabbis and their students or those who would listen to them, it was understood that a, a teacher's understanding of the Scriptures, their interpretation of the Scriptures, their way of applying the Scriptures that began to form their understanding of life and life in the kingdom of God, that was called that teacher or that rabbi's yoke. That's what it was. And in those days, in the ministry of Jesus, the most influential teachers of his day were a group known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a group of teachers. You come across them throughout the New Testament and Jesus' gospel all the time. But they had codified the Old Testament into 365 different prohibitions and 250 commands. And their yoke required submission to it all and to their particular interpretation of those things. That together gave a picture of what the good life or the abundant life is. And so Jesus comes to those who would listen and he invites people to a different way of being, a different vision of the life that God has come to give. He came and he offered deliverance to the burdened and an invitation to a life lived in freedom. Jesus came and he called people to himself. It's an entirely different kind of yoke. And at the same time, as important as that word is in understanding the context of that word, it actually has two interpretations and everybody listening to him would have caught them both. You see, in that day as well, in an agricultural society, a yoke had a very literal agricultural meaning too. So when someone would go to plow a field or to carry a heavy load, there was an instrument that was used to bind two or more oxen together to be able to pull the heavy weight. It was called a yoke. And the oxen would be in this yoke. It would go around their necks. It would kind of clasp down around them. And they would be able to adjust the yoke to split the burden so the power of the ox could pull what was necessary to be moved or to pull the equipment to plow. But when a farmer was introducing an, a new or an immature ox to this process, what they would do is they would take this young or immature ox and they would yoke him up with a bigger, more mature ox. And he would adjust the yoke in such a way that the burden and the weight was heavier on the older, more mature ox. That ox did more of the pulling and more of the work. But the immature young ox was yoked to him, and the whole time he was learning the process and the pace. He was matching step for step with the older, more mature ox, because he would just want to get in it and fight it and run and go different directions. He would learn 
from being yoked to this more mature ox how to do this. And in the end, he wasn't even doing all the work, but he got to share in the accomplishment of what was going on. And Jesus comes to those who would listen, and he would invite us to a life with him where he carries the load, and we share in his accomplishment where our life in his yoke is free and light. He teaches us to live unburdened lives in him as we learn to live in his way and match his step and his pace. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we actually spent time at the end of the year last year reading it from the message version because that version caught the essence of what Jesus was saying here. Listen to it. Are you tired and worn out or burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Says, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As we learn his way, keeping company with him, learning his unforced rhythms of grace, it's, it's then that you and I begin to recover our life. We learn to live unburdened and free. The yoke is still there. He didn't say the yoke was gone. The, the yoke is still there. But he carries the weight. And he teaches us how to live. He calls us like that immature ox to learn to match his pace in life. And learn to let him carry the heavy load. This is the invitation that Jesus offers to those who would be his apprentices, an invitation to keep company with him, to be with him, to learn from him, that we might become like him and learn to live as he lived. This is what we spent our time towards the end of 2021 thinking about and looking at. And in those last couple of weeks, we looked at a couple of unforced rhythms of grace and patterns and priorities in Jesus's life. We kind of transitioned into looking at his life and what are some of these unforced rhythms of grace that he lived in, that his disciples, his apprentices lived in, that he's calling us to live in, in that we might recover our life. And Learn to live free and unburdened in him. And so we spent a week looking at the priority and the, the pattern in Jesus' life of solitude and silence. And we spent another week looking at the priority and pattern in Jesus' life and the role of corporate worship. We also often don't think about that in Jesus' life, the role the corporate gathering played. But we looked at that in his life and then the life of his apprentices as they would learn from him. And then we listened to them as they began to write after his resurrection and ascension and encouraging the churches that were being formed and consider that priority and pattern in our own life. And this morning, by God's grace, I just want to think about one more priority of Jesus, one that was central to his life and that of his apprentices, one familiar probably to all of us, but my prayer this morning is that familiarity wouldn't get in the way of hearing what Jesus has to say. We, we need very new eyes, I think, to see this in a new way and 
not let our familiarity get in the way. And, and as we do, I, I just want to remind us that when we talk about these unforced rhythms of grace in Jesus' life and what it looks like to begin thinking about what they look like in our life, Jesus isn't calling you to add more things to your life, okay? He's not saying, I know how busy and how hectic and how crazed your life is. Now you want to be my apprentice. Add all of this onto that as well. He's actually calling us to an entirely new way of living, a way that will cause us to think about the way we spend our time, to think about the patterns and the rhythms in our life. One writer said it this way. He said, the hardest way to follow Jesus is to live like everyone else around you and not change how you view your time, your money, or try to add being his disciple on top of it. The easiest way to follow him, though, is to let him alter your way of living and to begin to adapt his priorities in his patterns. And so this morning, I want us to consider the pattern and the priority in Jesus' life and the life of his apprentice, the relationship between Jesus and the Scriptures, and the relationship between his apprentices, his disciples, and the Scriptures. And I want to do it, or at least I want to say this as we begin to look at it more specifically. I think if we're going to talk about how we approach God's word and how we approach the scriptures as Jesus' apprentices, I think we need to acknowledge the baggage that exists whenever you're in church or in the church culture and start talking about reading the Bible. There's a lot of baggage that each of us carry into this conversation. There are a lot of doorways that you can walk through to get into this conversation. It could get into things that are confusing or things your coworkers say are hard to understand or things your friends say are false, and you can walk through those doors and try to understand it this way. But I think we just need to stop and sit back and, and acknowledge the personal baggage that we carry sometimes when we think about approaching the Scriptures. Gretchen Ronovic is a spiritual writer, and she said this, and I think she caught it better than I could probably say it. She said, there's likely no other aspect that will make you feel as categorized or as rated as a Christian than Bible reading. We have made so many extra rules about it all. We ask ourselves questions like, is there a holiest time of the day to actually read the Bible? Does it actually count to just read a devotional that walks you through only one verse? What do I do with the guilt I feel when I don't do it? How do I handle the shame that I feel when I don't really want to? What do I do with this perception that I have sometimes that there wasn't really much coming out of this? We've got so much baggage when it comes to how we approach and interact with the Scriptures that we just have to acknowledge it. It's there. And we all carry different pieces of it depending upon our exposure and our time and the culture of the church. And so this morning, I, I want us to just quietly ask God to give us a fresh perspective on this. That's my prayer. That maybe considering the posture of an apprentice and their approach to the scriptures in light of being with Jesus might come as a new picture for us. 
it might be different for us than some of the baggage we carry with things we've been told or things we've read or things we've been taught about what it means to interact with the Bible. So that's my hope. And to do that this morning, we're going to start with trying to understand from the New Testament how Jesus approached the Scriptures. If he's the rabbi, we're the apprentice. If he's the teacher and we're with him to learn from him, to become like him, to live as he would live if he were us, if we want to be transformed into his image and likeness, well, let's see how did he approach the scriptures? What did he think about these? How did he relate to these? Because that would have been what his apprentices absorbed. Well, Jesus, remember, first and foremost, in his ministry that we have recorded in the gospels, he was a teacher. He was considered to be a rabbi. He had read the scriptures. He continued to read the scriptures when he had opportunity. He had them memorized. He taught them. He often, and much of his ministry, we'll see in a minute, was around correcting people's interpretations of them. Jesus had an extremely exalted view of the scriptures, of what we understand to be God's word. In fact, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, having been tempted by the devil after fasting for 40 days, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he was quoting something from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And I want you to understand the context of what he was quoting because it will help you understand Jesus' understanding of the scriptures and then how he relates with them and others around them in his ministry. The book of Deuteronomy is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It it, it really, you you can on a big scale, view the book of Deuteronomy like one big sermon, all right? The generation that had survived, had been born and lived through the 40 years of of wandering in the wilderness was on the precipice of going into the land that God had promised, and Moses wasn't going to be able to go with them. So Moses recounts for this generation that's going to go into the promised land all that God had done and all that God had promised and all the ways that their ancestors and their forefathers had sinned against God, had not trusted God, but God in his grace had made provision for them, all that God had promised. Deuteronomy is like a recounting of the other first four books of the Old Testament. And in this sermon that Moses is giving, Moses reminds them of God's provision for them every single day in the wilderness of bread from heaven. You may have heard that story before, the manna that God provided for them every single day. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses tells them why God did this. And if you read it slowly, it's a little different than you might realize. Moses said that God humbled you and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, right? No one had known of manna before this. This was brand new. This is from God for them. Why did he do it? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He didn't do it just to satisfy your stomach, and to satisfy your biological need for sustenance that you might live. He did it that you might understand the necessity of his word. It was a 40-year lesson about the necessity and satisfaction of God's word. Moses would put his hand, his hand to scroll, hand to parchment, whatever it may have been. He will write the largest encompassment of the first five books of the Bible. This generation that's on the precipice of going into the land will be the first generation that has any form of written testimony of all that God has done. And so for 40 years before that, God pressed a lesson home hard to their hearts. 40 years he pressed in on them of their need 
for the spiritual food of his word. So, back to Jesus. Having fasted from physical food for 40 days and confronted and tempted by Satan, he upholds the scripture's own self-disclosure, God's own self-disclosure of his word as true spiritual food. Jesus had a tremendously highly exalted view of the scriptures of God's word. And so when you get to Matthew chapter 5, which begins what many people are are very familiar with, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount. You find this teaching from Jesus and and people listening to him, people having questions of him. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish. That's a fun word. You can go look that word up. When you think about abolish in your brain, you think about get rid of, wipe away, right? It's gone. If you go look the word up, the word carries a lot of weight to it that's like take apart, pick apart, deconstruct, take it down. Not wipe it away, but pick it apart. Jesus says, don't be confused. I I haven't come to deconstruct the law or the prophets. That's not what I'm here for. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's the word that's used throughout the New Testament, and its only usage throughout the New Testament are instances related to places where Jesus says there are promises or prophecies in the Old Testament that he says have pointed to or been fulfilled in him. He's saying, I didn't come to deconstruct the law and the prophets. I didn't come to deconstruct God's word. I came to fulfill them. I understand the scriptures as he would have had them in the Old Testament writings and laws and prophets as pointing to himself. That's how he understood it. And so he says, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot, those are the smallest strokes of a pen in the language, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, right, whoever unties, whoever deconstructs, whoever plays fast and loose with one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, practices them, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus said about his understanding of himself and the scriptures. And from that point forward, do you know what he began to do? Sermon on the Mount? He began to teach the scriptures and correct people's wrong interpretations of them. Over and over again, go read it. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I'm going to say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. A huge aspect of Jesus' ministry was calling into question the wrong interpretation of the Scriptures and leading people to a right understanding of them. And there were, there were two big interpretations and two big approaches and really kind of two big postures, if you want to think about it, about approaching the Scriptures that dominated Jesus' day And they're just like the two big approaches that dominate today. Not much changes under the sun. The first was represented by a group called the Sadducees. Maybe if you've read the New Testament or you've been in church for a while, you might have heard that name. The Sadducees were a much smaller group than the ones you're more familiar with called the Pharisees. But the Sadducees were smaller. They were made of of upper class, more educated elites. In that day, they were the ones that worked with the Roman government, the Roman Empire, They colluded with the Roman government to set the trajectory for the people of Israel. They were sympathetic to the Roman Empire. They had a very kind of laissez-faire approach to the scriptures. 
Most notably, they didn't believe in the supernatural, in particular the resurrection. They had a big problem with the idea of resurrection. If you're one that likes to put people on spectrums, this would have been the left side of the spectrum. They are the ones who worked with the Roman Empire for their own well-being and the well-being of the empire. So Jesus begins to interact with these Sadducees, and, and I love, you can go read it at some point this week, Mark chapter 12. There's a direct interaction with Jesus and the Sadducees, and he deals with their posture and their understanding of the scriptures. They come to him in Mark 12, and they say, there is no resurrection. And then they ask Jesus the most preposterous question. Uh, you can go read it this week. He, he says, Moses wrote for, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take a widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. Well, there were seven brothers, and one took a wife and he died. The next brother took a wife. Whose wife is he going to be in the resurrection, if there's a resurrection, right? Jesus looks at them and says, Mark 12, verse 24, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? Right, I love Jesus, just straight honest. It's not mean, it's the most loving thing he can do. Is this craziness simply because you don't know the scriptures? You've chosen to play fast and loose with them, and you know not the power of God at all. But they weren't the only ones who were interpreting the scriptures for the people and leading the people and what the, the scriptures meant for life. There was the other group you're way more familiar with called the Pharisees. And if the Sadducees sat on the, the left, more liberal side of the spectrum, the Pharisees are all the way over on the right. And you're more familiar with these guys. They were smaller in number. They, they kind of were in the region of Galilee. They were super conservative. They were the ones who would have gone through the synagogue school, having memorized the entirety of the Old Testament. They were the ones who codified the Old Testament into the prohibitions and in the commands. They were the ones who didn't interpreted those prohibitions and commands and told people they had to obey not only the commands and prohibitions, but their interpretations of them, right? And then they had all these traditions about it that had gathered through the centuries and they codified those traditions in what are called the Mishnah and the Talmud and you had to obey all of it. And so Jesus is often interacting with the Pharisees and their approach to the scriptures. My favorite is in John chapter five, he's dealing with them and he looks at him and says, you so diligently search these scriptures. That's a huge statement, he says. This searching is the same word that would have been used for like a, a police or a security force searching for an escaped prisoner or a parent searching for a lost child. You search so diligently and eagerly these scriptures thinking that in them you'll find life, but they're about me. You've missed me. Now you know these things better than everybody else. You think you read the Bible. They were in it hours and hours a day searching like a parent who's lost their child. But Jesus says your posture and your approach was so wrong, you're in a different game altogether. You search these things so eagerly, thinking that in them you'll find life. You'll find a way towards the right life and the right earning and the right grace from God, or you'll find the way to go about doing it. And in it you've missed me. And the more I think about it, I have to come to grips with the fact that I do think our enemy's aim is to not get you and I to completely set the scriptures aside, but to get us to simply approach them and interpret them the wrong way. As a means to grace, or as a means to expose to us what we have to do in order to earn favor from God. 
This is what the Pharisees were doing. And they missed Jesus. They missed the gospel. And the reality of it is you and I can do the same thing. And in missing Jesus and in missing the gospel, we miss the transformation. We miss the new life, the new being that God has promised. So here's the thing I don't want us to miss out on either. I don't want myself, I don't want us to miss out on either Jesus or transformation. And so with the time we have left, I want us to consider what it might be like to approach in posture and motivation and even a bit in action these scriptures from the perspective of an apprentice. Remember, day in and day out, Jesus' apprentices, his disciples, they would have walked with him, eaten with him, listened to him, right? And in being with him, they would have learned from him. They would have heard all the questions being asked of him and all the interpretations being corrected. They would have the own, their own opportunity being with Jesus to ask him questions and to have him teach them and correct their interpretations. Parts of their hearts and lives were consistently being exposed as they're with Jesus and he's leading them in the direction of the kingdom of God. This is what life was like for his apprentices. They were with him, listening to him, learning from him that they might become more like him. In abiding with Jesus, they were being transformed. And I want us to understand it's the same thing for you and I now. Whenever we approach the scriptures in order to see and enjoy Jesus. When we approach the scriptures from the posture of relationship for transformation not just approaching them with the posture of gaining information. Marjorie Thompson was writing about this tendency of ours to approach the scriptures for information, and I love it. She called it strip mining the Bible. We tend to approach it for facts to strengthen arguments, knowledge to be convincing to others, help with problem solving, or evidence for cases we're trying to build. We come to strip mine the scriptures rather than to see and be with and enjoy Jesus. But when we come to the scriptures to be shaped, to be formed, to listen, and to bring our real self to Jesus in relationship with the expectation that his word is living and active, that his spirit is at work in us and through his word to transform us, it's an entirely different thing. And so I want us to talk about this approach And I want to be very clear, this is a different approach to the scriptures than what's more commonly understood by you and I, and we can call it studying the scriptures. And there's nothing wrong with studying the scriptures. Studying the scriptures is amazing. It's my job. I love it. You spend time in it. You understand it. There are things that are confusing. You go figure it out. There are words you don't understand. You go figure it out. How did this fit with this? And how did this get with this? And you you search your way through it. It's amazing. We value studying the scriptures very highly here. In fact, we have classes that will teach you how to study the scriptures, a class to teach you how to help others study the scriptures, and we've got one of the best Bible teachers, study, study writers and teachers here in Angela Lee, and she's going to start a whole other Bible study coming up in this, this spring. We love studying the Bible. It's very important, but what I'm talking about is a different posture and a different approach. Studying the scriptures, if you're anything like me, can be 
can be a danger because if I'm not careful, strip mining becomes what I'm doing. Relationship and seeing and being with Jesus to be changed by Jesus, to be with him, it, it can get lost. And I'm having to relearn this myself. This is a posture of coming to the scriptures relationally. This is a posture of coming to the scriptures for transformation. For centuries, depending upon the tradition you may have grown up in in the church, if you grew up in the church at all, you might have heard someone talking about something called spiritual reading. Maybe you've heard the Latin term Lectio Divina or Lectio Quorum Deo, reading in the presence of God. It's a different way of approaching the scriptures, the different motivation in it together. It's the motivation of relationship. And I'll be honest, at the outset right here, we have the same challenges in approaching the scriptures to be with Jesus, to grow in relationship and transformation at his hands as we do in relationships with one another. It's just as difficult. We're just as overscheduled, overhurried, and busied. We're just as distracted. If we're going to be with Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, to be with Jesus in his word as his apprentices in relationship for transformation, we're going to have to learn to put away some of the distractions. Husbands, if you're like me, if you want to spend time and be with your wife, you're having to learn to put away your phone. It's the same thing. It's relationship. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to walk through what I'm talking about, and then we'll, we'll get a big picture. What I'm talking about is picking the time to be with Jesus, to be with him in his word. Pick the time. And when you pick the time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just sit for a second and breathe. Just breathe. And I want you to take note of what you're thinking and how you're feeling. The good, the bad, and the ugly. What are you thinking What are you feeling? And then I want you to give that to God. Here I am. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's why I think I'm feeling and thinking this way. He already knows you're just being honest with him. You're just bringing it to him because it's a relationship. You're just being honest. You're just coming to him with who you really are. It's the hardest thing to do. It's hard in our own human relationships. So we're going to come to him with who we are. We're going to be honest with him. One of the things I've loved the most in my own life as I've I've thought about this is in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, where Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's what you're doing. Here I am. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's why I'm feeling this way. I just want you to speak. I'm listening. And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to then listen. And I want you to listen by slowly reading through his word or slowly listening to his word. There's one of these big hang-ups we have in the modern church. You realize that before the printing press, not everybody had a Bible. Do you know how they learned the Bible? They listened to it. You can listen to the Bible. It's okay. It's not less than reading the Bible. You realize some of you are going to be free. You can listen to the Bible. In fact, if you're, if you're a member here and you've got Church Center on your phone or you can go to Church Center online, you have a free subscription to the Dwell Bible Reading app. You can go get it and you can go listen. And I just want you to sit and listen. Slowly 
Listen to it. And I don't want you to get stuck on what you don't understand. I don't want you to get stuck on the words you want to go study. I don't want you to get stuck on the city that you want to go figure out where it is. I want you to listen for what the Holy Spirit is standing out to your heart that morning. What one of my old pastors used to say becomes electric in your heart that morning. What is he showing you that morning? What's becoming alive to you? And I want you to then sit with it. What's he showing you? What's he saying to you? And then I want you to sit with it. I want you to consider what the Holy Spirit is making most impactful to you. How do I feel about what's being said? Where do I find myself resisting and pushing back and and wrestling with what God is saying? Here's one that gets me. Where am I sensing the rightness of what he's saying, yet in my heart I'm pushing back against it? Love your enemy. I get that. But right now, I don't want to see that person again. Why am I feeling this way? What is he showing me about my attitudes, my postures, my heart? What's he revealing to me about who he is and and what he's like? I want you to sit with what he is showing you, what's impactful to you, because what you're doing is you're listening You're surrendering and you're listening and he's showing you. And now as you're meditating on it and processing it, you're having a conversation. That's what you're doing. You're going back and forth, dealing with what he's exposing to you and showing you in your own heart. This I'm having to learn even as an older man is the foundation for connection and intimacy not only with Jesus but with my wife, my family, and humans. And it's only worse over the last two years. It's only worse with the advent of technology. We don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm having to relearn this. This is conversation. This is the relationship. And as you sit and you meditate and you chew on it and you think on it and you go back and forth, you then just respond prayerfully. What has he shown you about who he is and what he's like that you can praise him for? What's he shown you about your heart that you may need to to own up to before him and confess and just lay before him? He already knows what he wants you to bring it to him because you trust him. What can you thank Jesus for in relation to that as he saved you from sin's penalty, sin's past, sin's present and future? What might you continue to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to continue to do in you and shape you like in specific ways? You're just responding to him relationally in conversation. And then we just ask. We ask God what he wants us to do with it. This is a spot we skip in relationships a lot. What do you want me to do with this? What's the next step for me in this? Maybe I need to go to that person and confess my bitterness and ask for forgiveness and you pray. Ask him to give you the courage and the perseverance and even the opportunity to go about doing that. I love how Eugene Peterson said it. He said, obedience to God is living in active response to the living God. We're having this conversation because we believe he is the living God. And obedience is active living in response to the living God. So we're asking from what you've shown me and how we've interacted this morning and what's been seen and what I can praise and what I can confess, what's the next step that I could take in this? It's just relationship. And I want to say this, as I go through it like that, this isn't a technical step-by-step linear process all the time. 
But sometimes we have to learn things this way. I mean, even now, in, in, in my own life, I mean, having just turned 46 this past week, I'm still having to learn the skill and the art of being able to build actual connection and intimacy and relationship with other human beings. We're having to teach our kids how to do it. How do you have literal, reciprocal, emotionally viable relationships? How is there ever reciprocity amongst people? How do you do it? How do you have these conversations? You have to learn it. The same thing comes here. If you've ever tried to learn to dance, you know sometimes you have to learn certain steps and you have to learn them in a very rote, mechanical manner. And you do them over and over again, slow. Slow is smooth, smooth is slow. And pretty soon that slow rhythm becomes more natural and more rhythmic. And the next time you hear the music, you can move with a little more fluidity. It grows as you do it. Those of us who played soccer, you know, if you're going to learn a new move in soccer, sometimes you have to learn it in a very mechanical manner. Foot here, ball here, ball here, foot here, and you learn how to do it, and it's very slow, it's very cumbersome, and the more you do it slow, slow is smooth, smooth is slow, over and over and over again, the more natural it becomes, the more rhythmic it becomes, and before you know it, you're on a field with a ton of other people, and things are moving around, and what was slow and cumbersome at first becomes natural and rhythmic, and it's there. Same is true with people, same is true with relationships, the same is true in this kind of relationship of of being with Jesus in his word. Sometimes you need to see the steps so that you can learn the rhythm. And then over time, it just becomes increasingly more natural. And you're there, and you're sitting, and you're listening, and you're putting yourself before him with all that you are, and you begin to read, and it gets electric at a moment, and it just happens, you're just moving, it's just rhythm. But sometimes you have to learn, and you have to learn the steps to it. It's no different when it comes to this kind of relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we need a guide. And this, this rhythm that we have been talking about of growing in this kind of relationship as his apprentice with him in his word, it, it's the rhythm of what you hear us talking about around here when we talk about the, the Seeing Jesus Journal. You know, for years, we've been inviting you to, to read the scriptures in a way very similar to this through our community Bible reading journal, or you've heard us talk about CBR, but this last year, the, the CBR journal has, has kind of morphed into what's known as the Seeing Jesus Journal, which I think is way more appropriate to the end in mind, and, and it's got some other tools in it as well that we can talk about in future weeks, but it's a guide. It's a helpful guide to how we learn the steps to this kind of connection and relationship and intimacy with Jesus in his word for transformation as his apprentices. And you're like, I didn't write down anything you just said. How am I going to do that? Well, in the last 10 minutes, I just summarized 12 pages of what the CBR journal or the Seeing Jesus Journal teaches, right? So you just have this, and there's 12 pages of everything I just said. So you'll find out that I didn't say anything original. And it will remind you, it's kind of a guide. You get to the pages that it gives you for, for being with Jesus in his scriptures, and it just guides you. Connect with your heart. Right? What are you thinking, feeling? What are you bringing? I mean, it's good to write it down. Listen to the scriptures. Right? On your bulletins every week, there are these seeking Jesus in his word. Those are the scriptures that go along with the journal reading. And here's the thing. It's not going to get you through the Bible in a year. It's not a checklist that you have to go through. In fact, the vast majority of people who use the journal on a daily basis around the world only read the New Testament. You can just read one portion and sit with that one portion of what God is doing. 
And it will just guide you and help you through the steps, like a cheat sheet to the relationship until it becomes more natural and more rhythmic, okay? And I want to be clear. This is not the only way to read the Bible. If you listen to me and you're like, that is what I do day in and day out. I'm with Jesus right there alone. We have this conversation. Praise God. That's not me. Like, I'm having to always learn this because my tendency is a hazard of a job and just the way I am, I tend to strip mine. So I'm having to learn relationship. If that's what you've got, praise God, stick with it. But for a lot of us, I think learning to build this kind of healthy relationship with the living God as we approach his scriptures as his apprentices is something that we need to reconsider. And so all I'm doing this morning is trying to invite you to consider the rhythm of abiding with Jesus through his word. Maybe you can try the journal. Maybe it'll help you learn the steps to the dance and the relationship until it becomes more natural and more rhythmic for you. If you're interested in that, we've got them available when you go out. I promise you, I, I avoided doing this whole thing through the end of the year, even now, because I never wanted you to hear this as a commercial. But it's a help. And sometimes we need help. So the journals are out there. You can grab one on your way out. They're at the, the New Here tent. And if we run out, we've got plenty. We'll have them every week as you think about this. But we're just inviting you to consider building this kind of relationship with Jesus through his word, trusting God the Holy Spirit that every time we come to his word, he'll help us to see Jesus, our savior and our friend. Just as right now, we're going to ask that the Holy Spirit help us see and enjoy Jesus as he invites us, his friends, to respond to his word as we receive communion. You know, this whole series started in John 15 and it was there that Jesus told his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit abide. Jesus, our Savior and friend, has given us his word, his voice to shape us in relationship. And even more than that, he's given us his life that we might not just be able to be with him, but that we can be transformed into his image and likeness. And so now this morning, he is inviting all who have believed upon him as king and savior to come forward in a moment and remember his death in our place for our sin, his body broken, his blood shed, that he paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future. And he's gonna call us forward to remember it, not in sorrow, but we remember it with the deepest and most profound joy and gratitude and hope because death did not get victory over him. That he rose triumphantly from the dead and that by grace, through faith in him, his victory becomes ours. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you a moment of reflection. And in that time, we just want you to consider God's word, consider Jesus. Has the Holy Spirit prompted anything in your heart or mind this morning? that you may want to confess before the Lord. Anything that he may have shown you in your heart through his word this morning that's worthy of you adoring him or praising him for. We're gonna give you a moment to just reflect, to deal with God, to let him deal with you. And then as the musicians will play, well, you'll be invited forward to come and to receive communion. And let me say this, as those who are distributing communion, if you wanna go ahead and make your way to your stations now, if you're here this morning and you would say you're not a follower of Jesus. I want you to know we're glad you're here. 
And my request of you this morning is that you take this same time to consider what you heard about Jesus. What might God, the Holy Spirit, be impressing upon your heart? I will tell you, the very fact that you are here this morning is testimony to the fact that God is doing something in you. What might he be impressing upon your heart this morning? But I want you to know as people stand and some begin to come forward, we're just going to ask that you you not come forward, you remain where you are. I I don't want you to worry about coming to get bread this morning. I want you to, to consider receiving Jesus this morning. So we're going to give everybody a moment to just reflect. Consider what the Spirit of God is doing and saying in your heart, and then we'll continue to respond together in just a moment. Holy Spirit, help us to see, enjoy, and respond to Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Robert Green at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.